Amen. You can be seated, and I'll dismiss uh, the kindergartners through the third grade. Again, let me echo Weston's announcement earlier. The fourth and fifth graders will stay in here with us. We had several teachers call in sick today, so we've had to shuffle teachers around. So the rest of the kiddos can head to the back. Who's teaching them today? Oh, we got the Burnsides. Okay, Miss Sarah back there. All right. The rest of us, let me invite you to take uh, your Bibles if you brought one or your device out if you have it. Open up to Proverbs chapter 1. We are officially starting the Proverbs series. I didn't know if it would ever have gotten here. For those of you who are fairly new with us, we've attempted to start Proverbs, I think, three or four times. And for some reason, um, it just didn't feel or seem right, and so we've diverted. Now, this has been going on for about three years, um, but God's timing is perfect. And I pray that he um, will speak to you through his word this morning. Can we pray together and ask him to do just uh, that very thing? Father God, we thank you for your grace, the sufficiency of it, for your power at work, as we've even sang with our uh, voices today, hopefully from our hearts, that, Lord, we need you. We desire your Holy Spirit to be manifested around us, to work in and through us, to lead us to truth. Now, we are not unaware that our heart is easily pulled in wrong directions. And many of us may be blinded by some of uh, reality, by the things around us, by culture, materialism, the little idols that seem to vie for our attention. So, Father, we need you to speak clearly to us, to convict, to heal, to restore. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So whether you realize it or not, we are all faced to make significant decisions every day. Significant decisions, maybe more than every day, maybe every hour. These significant decisions, these paths that are in front of us all the time. And a lot of times we just kind of float through lives and don't even realize that we're making these decisions, the decision or the path between folly and the path between folly and wisdom. To one side, there's folly. And by nature and our sinful nature and just being born young and not not wise, we typically take the path of folly. If left to our own devices, we are going to choose the path of folly nearly every time. And so Proverbs is here, and we see Lady Wisdom in Proverbs Screaming out, it says, on the busy streets, calling to us that we would walk the way of wisdom. So as we start the book of Proverbs, I want you to think through that lens, this idea between folly and wisdom, and how it is so inherently practical in our everyday life. I also want to say this, that a lot of times when people come to me as a pastor and they want to know what God's will is, ultimately what they want is a technique. They want They want me to help make this decision for them. Now, the good news this morning is we don't have to do that. As we read through Scripture, the Holy Spirit has actually come, and he's the one that helps lead us into all truth, says in uh, the Gospel of John. But people want a technique. They want to know um, how exactly do we get it. And Proverbs doesn't talk about necessarily technique, but a way of life, of growing and increasing in wisdom. And ultimately it points to Jesus, who would be the culmination of wisdom, or wisdom personified even for us. So we're starting the book of Proverbs. And if you've read through the book at all, you know that there's 
man, probably 15 to 20 major themes running through the book. We'll cover about half of those. Proverbs will take us up um, until uh, the Advent season starts. And because it's a book that weaves these themes together through many of its chapters, we're going to walk through it thematically, similar, if you were with us several years ago, the way we walked through the book of James. And so today is kind of an introduction, set the framework for our study, and over the next few months we'll study uh, these themes of power of our words, the power of the tongue, and humility, and family, and emotions, and friendship, and money, and life, and death. And I think it's going to be a great study, again, inherently practical I believe maybe the most practical we've walked through maybe since the book of James. We see in verse 1, as we look at it, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Solomon is the main author, not the only author. You'll see several as you read through it, and I'd encourage you to do that. Maybe I started when I was a teenager, one of my youth pastors suggested I read through the book of Proverbs. And so uh, I bought a New Living Translation, uh, which is written on about a 7th or 8th grade level. It's about the only one I can understand even now sometimes. And I, brought, I bought that as a teenager and started reading through it. And I make it a discipline in my life to go back to that pattern a lot. I'd encourage you over the next 10, 12 weeks as we walk through it, that maybe you would add that to whatever you're reading or let that be part of your uh, devotional time. And then you would look for some of these themes as they run through the book of Proverbs. So Solomon's the main author. Proverbs has a unique style. It's part of the uh, Bible that we consider uh, referred to as wisdom literature, as long, uh, along with um, Psalms, the Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, and probably the book of James would also fit under that heading of wisdom literature. The first nine chapters read similar to other books with mostly linear thoughts, one thought built upon another. Maybe some of you think that way, very linear, you're linear in your thinking. Some of you, others of you are very scatterbrained and you're kind of connecting dots all together. It's very hard for me to follow conversation with my wife. I have to listen very closely because she just jumps all over. In her mind, everything kind of blends together somehow and I have to pause. Wait, wait, what are we talking about? Who are we talking about? What context are we talking about? We'll see that in the second uh, half of Proverbs. It moves from this linear thought, building subjects upon subject, to... Uh, maybe what you would kind of read in a fortune cookie, like what we would consider Proverbs. It's these one little line sayings that pack a little punch. And so that's one of the reasons we're going to cover it thematically. Within the book of Proverbs, we really see three groups of people. And we'll see them again and again and again as we walk through it. Three groups of people. The wise the foolish, and the evil. The wise, the foolish, and the evil. We're going to come back to these several times throughout the series, but I want you to spot them as we read them. The overarching theme of the book is the way of wisdom. The way of wisdom. And I like that theme, the way of wisdom, because our goal here is not to make one wise decision. We like making wise decisions. I want my kids to make wise decisions. But the goal is for not to them, for them to make one wise decision, but for them to become a wise person. That they're able to um, enter into all different domains of life and be able to understand reality and understand God's truth and interweave those together and commit to the right path. And that's what it means to be a, a wise person, a person that walks in the way of wisdom. Let's read the text together. Starting in verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, 
to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple and knowledge and discretion to the young, to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a Proverbs and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. Verse 7, you might highlight this. This is the kind of the main theme that sets the book off in this direction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's keep reading. Read in verse 8 with me. I think I have this on the screen. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Skip down to the very last verse here in verse 32. And 33 of uh, chapter 1. For the simple are killed by their turning away. And the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without the dread of disaster. That is the word of the Lord. Let's focus in on verse 8 and 9 real quickly, and then we'll look at the uh, previous verses. You see, the context of this book of Proverbs really is a father to a son. Nearly 20 times in this book, you see this phrase, my son. So the wise father is passing on basic understanding of what it's going to take to walk the way of wisdom. He's going to give him advice on some some of the things that he should be doing, and he's going to warn him about some of the things that he should avoid. But it's more than that. His ultimate goal, the wise father, isn't just, again, about making wise decisions, but helping the son become a wise person. The older my kids get, I see the importance of this more and more. My oldest is in fourth grade, and they're learning things in fourth grade that I didn't learn socially until seventh, eighth, ninth grade. They're they're being bombarded with all these different messages, and these messages are coming at our kids from all kinds of directions. And it kind of enhances the urgency in me as a father to sit down with my daughter. And we did this before she started school this year. And we kind of laid some things on the line. Baby, I want you to understand this. And we help give perspective. If you know anything, if you remember anything about being a fourth, fifth, sixth grader, maybe even about high school, you have this inordinate amount of, you put this inordinate amount of value on what your friends think about you or what they say about you. And many of the very dumb decisions that we've made in our past, we did not make them alone. We made them in the context of other people who are saying, hey, we should do this, or hey, wouldn't it be cool if we did this, right? And so I want to sit down with my my fourth grader and the rest of my kids, and I've got a little perspective. I've been around a little bit longer than her, and there are many times that I have to bring up that argument and say, babe. Claire has been uh, argumentative from the beginning, thinking she knows. And my son Hudson is the same way. Ellie's kind of in la-la land, so she doesn't kind of push back. But had to remind Claire many, many times as a five-year-old, hey, babe, I know you think you know everything. Your dad's a little older, right? I've done this. I've done this before. I need you to listen to me. The direction you're headed is down a path of folly. So every time we see the father pleading with the son, we see God pleading with us. Every time we see the father instructing his son, we see God instructing us. God pleading with us to walk in the way of wisdom and avoid the way of folly. The way of wisdom in Proverbs is the way of Christ. It's the gospel. The call from the father to the son is choose the way of wisdom. So the call from God to us is to walk in the gospel. 
to walk in the good news, to walk in your new identity, to understand what God says. This is the direction that the world is headed. This is real reality. I know it might feel different to you right now, but this is ultimately what is real, and this is the way that we should walk. I think it'd be beneficial for us to define wisdom, and the author of Proverbs does that for us. Here in those first few verses, like looking through a prism, we get to see that it's, we get to see kind of the different aspects of what, of what wisdom really is. We know that it's not just knowledge, but it in, involves knowledge, knowing about things. Just because someone has a lot of book knowledge or smarts about a subject doesn't mean they're a wise person. It's not just about morality, but wisdom always ends in the highest moral judgment. Wisdom, the word for wisdom here is the Hebrew word that's also used for skill in other places. When we look back in the Torah, we see um, as they're making the priests the garments of the priests, they wanted to get the people with the greatest wisdom or the greatest skill and bring them in. These are people who knew fabrics and were very, gave very, uh, this great attention to detail and said, I want to entrust you with this great task of making these garments for the priest. We need to get people with wisdom. So it's built from this word that's also used as skill. To define it loosely, maybe it's the skillful ability to know the difference between right and wrong and choose right. So to explain it, Solomon in his wisdom holds up wisdom to this prism prism, and we see it. Look at it in verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight, to receive instruction and wise dealing and righteousness, justice, equity. Verse four, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. So we see that it has knowledge, but it's not just knowledge. It contains insight, verse two. Insight is this ability ability to know how things work. It's an ability to see distinctions where other people just see a blur. I'm a fan of uh, Sherlock Holmes and his knack for noticing things that no one else notices. And this is what this talks about when, it's, when we're saying insight, that someone could walk into a room and only notice this or that. But to have insight means that you walk in and you see things that no one else sees. Wisdom includes knowledge. It includes insight. Verse 4 says it includes prudence. Prudence is practical wisdom. It's understanding reality. It's understanding how to bring application to all of these things that we've learned. I love to talk to people after they graduate college and get into their field and ask them, how did it prepare you? I love to talk to people who went to seminary and sit with them just for a moment and say, how did that prepare you for what you're doing? And most of them would say, it did nothing for me at all. Well, this is what prudence is. It's able to take the knowledge that we've gotten and the prudence uh, and the insights. And prudence is this practical wisdom. This, I understand this concept. I understand reality. And I understand how this should apply. But Solomon goes on and says that it also involves discretion in verse 4. Discretion to the youth. Discretion is being able to actually make the choice between right and wrong, or make the choice between wisdom and folly, even when paths aren't all that obvious. When Old Testament scholar simplifies wisdom down to this, it's competency and the realities of life. 
Ultimately, wisdom is this ability to navigate seemingly difficult situations because the wise person is knowledgeable and skillful and committed to making the right decision no matter what it might cost them. And let me encourage you, you should should find people like this, that you consider wise people that seem to be full of wisdom. Maybe you know someone like that, that one conversation with them, you could just be seeing blurry, walking through the fog. It seems, man, everything's gray. I'm not sure what direction or decision that I need to take. And one conversation with them, and it just changes your world. It opens up things you didn't see before. They're able to shed light on other things. We need wisdom. Anyone who has spent any time in reality knows that wisdom would be great to have. Not every decision is so clear. Certainly every path that we came up, if it was labeled folly and it was labeled wise, we would choose the wise one because as hopefully logical people, we know that the wise road is going to lead to our flourishing. It's going to lead to God moving uh, in our lives. It's going to lead to the way of Christ. But folly is going to end in destruction. Proverbs says that again and again. But not every path is labeled that clearly. Not every decision is so glaringly obvious. Decisions like, should I take this job? Or how should I respond to this complicated family issue? Or how do I parent my kids around this? And when do I tell them and not tell them? Or where do I invest my money? And on and on. There's a lot of areas out there which we need wisdom. This skillful ability to know the right and wrong. Not only do we all need wisdom, what makes this so important is that most of us don't have it. And before you feel insulted, this is just clear that we aren't born with wisdom. Every one of my kids have eaten dirt, handfuls of it. They come in with the grit in their mouth. One of my kids has stuck a bobby pin in the wall socket twice, two different occasions. We aren't, we aren't born with wisdom. Look at verse 4. Solomon writes, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge, and discretion to the youth. When it speaks of youth, it typically is talking about people in the Hebrew Scriptures under the age of 30. Proverbs calls most of it in that category, most of us that would consider ourselves that simple. It's not that we're idiots, it's just that we're stupid right now. We just don't know yet. As a matter of fact, neuroscientists back up this understanding and tell us that our brains aren't fully developed until our early 20s. So the majority of the decisions that we make up to that point are more emotional than they are logical. They're more influenced by peer pressure than ultimate reality. They're more impulsive than they are wise. But even of us that are over 30, you probably are aware enough to know that just because you're wise in one area of life, maybe navigating money is your thing, doesn't mean that you're wise in all areas of life. I know a lot of people like this that are, have a lot of wisdom in one area and they understand the reality of it and they've learned the discipline of it and they can really apply it. But when it comes to other areas of their life, it's a train wreck. Maybe it's re- navigating re- the relational dynamics of your extended family. Just because you have some wisdom doesn't mean you have all wisdom or that you are all wise. That's why Proverbs would say in chapter 15, verse 22, that there's wisdom in the abundance of counselors. 
We need wisdom. We don't naturally have it. And on top of that, as we learn in chapter 1, there are thousands of other voices screaming advice at the top of their lungs. Most of those other voices bent on leading us down the wrong path. Here's really the point this morning. And we could break it down more as the series goes, but there's one thing so crucial that we will never walk down the path of wisdom unless we have this one thing. So much so that it's mentioned dozens of times, even within these first nine chapters, and it's this idea of humility. Humility is this posture of the heart, this inclination of the soul, this mindset that says, I know that I don't know it all. I know that I need help. I know, I realize that I have blind spots all over me. I really need help. And it's not just helplessness, but it's a submission to the wisdom and the willingness to commit to the path of wisdom, even when we don't like it or don't want to. It's learning to listen well. Now, most people don't take this approach to life, and that's why we have Proverbs. Very few people do I know just love criticism. Very few people do I know love to lay their heart and mind bare in front of others and say, tell me what you think. As a matter of fact, most of us just try to find other people who support our view. And so we surround ourselves with people all saying the same thing. Maybe there's a conflict that you've run into and you're scanning your, your favorites on your phone to say, okay, who can I call to affirm this way I'm feeling right now. Skip on down to verse 32. Towards the end, we see these two groups of people. They're, they're both considered uh, down the path of folly. They're both foolish in and of themselves. But the author makes a little distinction. He says in verse 32, these are the simple. It says, for the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroy them. The simple are killed by their turning away. This idea of the simple in Proverbs are just the unlearned. They're the ignorant. They're the young. They haven't lived long enough to understand some of life's realities. You remember when you were a teenager? And no offense to the teens down here. You'd do well to listen well as we walk through this. Maybe you'll save yourself some of the scars that I have. The cry from Lady Wisdom to the simple, to the unlearned, to the uneducated, to the people who haven't walked through life in these chunks of time is they've got to learn to listen. Now I know when I was a senior in high school, I thought I knew more than anybody else in the world. I mean, I had a high school education. Graduated in the top four of my class, there was only 13 of us. I remember after I graduated high school, things took a little turn for the worse with my father. He was still speaking wisdom to me, but I thought I knew it all. I mean, I had a car, and I had a job, and I was about to go to college. I was so learned in the way of life. I remember one argument I had with my dad about whether I could go out, and it was icy. He said, son, I don't want you going out. I was in Shreveport. I was going to go to uh, the mall, as high schoolers do. 
meet a buddy over there, and he said, Luke, I don't want you to go. And I was so rebellious. And he said, eventually, you know how you do this as parents? You give in, but you really don't give in. He said, well, you know what, I've, you know what I'm, I'm telling you, son, but you do what you want to do. And this is a conflict. And I was like, but I'm the all-wise, recently graduated from high school senior. I'm going to go. And I went, and I got there, and I said, see, no problem. And then on my way back, I was in that big turn coming from uh, Bossier into Shreveport, getting on I-49 from 20, and my truck just started spinning out. I hit an ice patch. I was all over the road. I ran into the guardrail, possibly could have flipped over. I'm sitting there. The car stops. Flashback to my dad saying, Luke, you don't need to go out tonight because there's ice on the road. I just, I didn't know what I didn't know. And one of the problems that rises up within us, especially in rebellious ways, especially as we go through our teenage years, but it's not just teenage years. Most of us in here still do not want to take advice, especially when it conflicts with what we really want to do. We don't want to take advice. We don't want to apply the advice. We just want to do what we want to do. And the author of Proverbs King Solomon, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, echoes these words into our hearts and souls, for the simple are killed by their turning away. We've got to learn to listen. But even more than that, we see this other group, that the complacency of fools destroy them. The simple are foolish just because they don't know. But these fools that it talks about here, these are the ones who know and they've learned and they keep hitting their head on the brick wall, but they refuse to listen. They still, no matter what, they think they're right. They refuse to listen to any kind of truth from the outside. They change every narrative that they walk into so that the, so that, so that the story would fit their narrative. These are the people that love to take the Bible out of context. They love to take some little word and some part of the Old Testament. They don't look at the narrative of all of Scripture. They just want to take and twist things so that they make them think and feel like they want to think and feel. And the author of Proverbs is saying, listen, you simple and you fool. You've got to learn to listen. You've got to approach this with the spirit of humility to know that you don't know everything. And there's a reason that God has not imparted to you everything, that you must depend on other people who've walked these roads and ultimately the very wisdom of God. It says in verse 5, let the wise hear and increase in learning. In verse 8, hear my son. You see this picture of you've got to listen. Hear my son your father's instruction and don't forsake your mother's teaching. The father knows that there's a temptation inherent in us, that we will think that we know it all, or we'll listen to the wrong voice. He also knows of these thousands of other people that are going to be feeding us on different advice as to the way he should live. He also knows that the voice that the son listens to will ultimately determine his direction in life down the path of folly or the path of wisdom. The voice that you listen to affects the way that you go. The voice that you listen to affects the way that you go. So this lesson here, again, the most predominant message in these first nine chapters is that the son would learn to listen to the right voice. The father tells the son all the wrong voices that he's likely going to hear as he prepares them. 
the rebellious sinner in chapter 1, the adulteresses in chapter 2 and 5 with her seductive words, the violent and devious voices in chapter 3, the wicked in chapter 4. Ultimately, all of these voices just really represent one voice throughout the book of Proverbs, and it's the voice of folly. It's the voice of sin, always calling out to the Son in efforts to distract and to destroy him. The way of folly leads to destruction. In Proverbs 8, we see wisdom speaking, crying out, for whoever finds me finds life, it says in verse 35, and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Again, to put it simply, there are these two voices crying out for the attention of the Son, two voices competing for our mind and our hearts of folly and of wisdom, and the voice of God which leads to life and favor, or the voice of the enemy of sin that leads to destruction and to death. This voice of wisdom, it says in verse 20, cries aloud in the streets of chapter 1. In the market she raises her voices. At the head of the noisy streets she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate she speaks. The voice of wisdom shouting out from the street. The voice speaking loudly in this noisy street. Also present at the city gates. At this path in which we might go. This is the voice of wisdom. As we walk through the book of Proverbs in the coming months. Maybe this would be a small movie trailer. For this book and a warning for all of us that we've got to humble ourselves. We've got to learn how to listen to the right voice. And I feel like this is more important now than it has ever been. We're more connected via social media and phones always in our hands. We've got phones in our watches. We've got text messages diverting our attention. We're always digitally on. We're bombarded with voices, and most of those voices aren't leading us down the right path. More than that, every friend you have is a voice, every coworker a voice, every neighbor a voice, every news anchor a voice, every Facebook friend a voice, every Twitter follower a voice, all competing voices. And now God in his grace knew that this would be a struggle for Solomon and his sons thousands of years ago, and he knew it would be a struggle for us in 2020. 17, son, if you don't learn how to listen, you'll never walk the way of wisdom. The voice you choose to listen to directs the way that you'll go. I want to wrap it up with this thought, and it's here in verse 7. This is the secret, again, to really understanding As we walk through Proverbs, you might even see that as this uh, bridge connecting the first part of Proverbs and the second part of chapter 1. It kind of has a little space or some emphasis there in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord, you're going to see it dozens of times as we walk through here. Not only do we need this humility and this desire to listen, and not only do we need a commitment to walk down the actual wise path, but we need something more than that. We also need intimacy. Intimacy with God. That phrase, fear of the Lord. 
there in verse 7 is used throughout the Old Testament. The fear of the Lord is almost always attached to the revealed word of God. As if God himself is saying, here is my word to you. And you should treat it with awe and respect as the only way to life. Like this is the way to life. It's the same thing that Nicodemus came and asked Jesus. Jesus, certainly you are the son of God as he come to him by night. Surely you're the son of God. Surely you're this wise teacher. Tell me how I can have real life. The fear of the Lord is how that we walk in wisdom Again, always attached to the word of God because every time the word of God is brought out that we have to make a decision. If we will excuse our behavior in light of God's word and do what we want to anyway. And the arguments just continue to mound up that the word of God is just so ancient it couldn't have any relevance for today. The word of God says of itself that it is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It does not return void. That it is here to stay and it is right and true and it's like a plumb line for our lives. In Matthew 12, Jesus tells them that someone greater than Solomon was in their midst. He's referring, of course, to himself. That Jesus is the culmination of wisdom. The personification of wisdom. To talk in wisdom is, to walk in wisdom is to walk with Jesus. That's why the fear of the Lord is really just a huge arrow pointing to the coming Jesus. Isaiah told us that the Messiah to come, we would be full of wisdom, a picture of wisdom, a picture of the heart of God as he walked in wisdom. And this is what I mean when I say if we don't understand this part about intimacy with God, then we miss the whole point of all of Proverbs. To walk in wisdom is to walk with Jesus. A relationship with Jesus is available to any and all of us. What the people in the Old Testament longed for, we have. Jesus told his disciples that the Holy Spirit would come as a counselor and lead them into all truth. Paul says in the book of Colossians that Jesus, that in Jesus are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And the call for us today is to walk in him. But you can't do that if you're proud. Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And my hope is, as we walk through this book, that you would get to know Jesus on a deeper and more intimate level than you, than you ever have. His Holy Spirit with us, guiding us. There's no necessarily method here. There's no strategic step. It's just walk with Jesus. It's for the very reason that he came. That we wouldn't have to long as those in the Old Testament did to know more. It actually ends the book of Proverbs. With the author saying, man, if there was, this life is just way too complicated. If there was just someone that would come. If there was someone that really knew life. If God himself would appear, or maybe even the Son of God might appear in chapter 30, he calls out and cries out for, and this was the ache of his heart, that even though I'm trying to walk in wisdom, I don't know the way we should go. Matter of fact, Jesus, maybe if you're reading through John chapter 3, the story of Nicodemus, there's a little subscript there that points back to Proverbs 30, where Jesus says, I am 
That's wisdom. I'm going to give us some time to pray today, and we're going to take communion in just a minute, and I want you to think about this. Maybe you'd ask yourself as we start out if if you have a spirit of humility. When you read God's word or it reads you or you're willing to approach it with humility. That maybe you just don't know everything that you think. Are you willing to surround yourself with this group of counselors? Maybe it's not the learning that you need, but it's the decision to commit to that path that's so difficult to you. Or maybe more than that, it's a thing about intimacy. You just haven't walked with God in so long, and he's calling you and inviting you to come and walk with him. I'm going to say a prayer for us. I'm going to invite the band back up and the communion servers. Give you some time to kind of think through just the very posture of your heart. Father, I thank you for your gift of mercy and grace. And I thank you for these words that you've spoken to us through Proverbs, through your word. I thank you that we don't have to long as those in the Old Testament did for a picture of what this might actually look like. But you sent Jesus for us for that very reason. pray that many of us in this room would take a step to follow you. Many that have been believers for a long time, but some, somewhere along the way, they just, instead of walking this path of wisdom, they just decided to sit down. Maybe others are confused, walking in darkness even now, and I pray, Father, that you would, through your Holy Spirit, speak to them, to lead them to truth, to bring conviction or healing and restoration. Or that we would see you do a work in our hearts and lives. Not so that we could just make one wise decision. This is not about us. This is about you and our reflection to the watching world of your glory. That we would be wise people. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going to take communion. We like to end the